Welcome to the Calvary Community Church Podcast. For more content and information about Calvary, please visit our website at calvaryhouston.com. Good morning, Calvary. I'm Joshua Rushing, one of the pastors here at uh, at Calvary, and I'm going to be uh, sharing a few things that are on my heart this morning. So if you have your Bibles, why don't you go ahead and turn to John chapter 17. John 17, calling this message the fellowship of the undivided. The fellowship of the undivided, John 17, and Jesus' fervent desire for unity in the church. John 17, we'll kind of hop around a little bit, but that'll be the place we land the most. John 17, verses 20 through 24. So back in 2020, in the spring of 2020, uh, I began to experience some significant discomfort in my left ankle. This was right around the time of the shutdown, kind of around March of 2020. And 20, and it was the, the outside of my ankle. So it was on my left side, and it was the ankle bone here. And, uh, and then the, there was a, there's a tendon that runs down the side of your foot towards your toes. And it was, it was extremely painful, so much so that I actually spent a couple of days at home with my leg propped up. I couldn't, it, it was hard to walk. I had no idea what was going on. I had no idea why it was hurting. It just, began hurting. Over the span of about two days, it was slowly started to get worse and worse to the point where I just couldn't walk anymore. And so uh, I went to the doctor and the doctor took some x-rays and the doctor hit me with some bad news. The doctor said that I had a significant, that was his word, a significant fracture in my ankle bone. And you can see it right there. That's not the way God designed it to look. That's supposed to be one whole bone, and it was almost broken all the way through. I had no idea how it happened. I had no idea when it happened. He actually said it could have been from weeks ago, months ago, or even years ago. But here's the funny thing about it. That x-ray right there is from my inside ankle bone. The pain I was having was on the outside of the foot. I had no pain on the inside. In fact, when he was taking the x-ray, he laid the outside of my foot down. He took the x-ray, and, uh, and he, they, they did the x-ray all around the foot. And he went and looked at it, and he came back and said, did you say the outside of your foot was hurting? I said, yeah. And then he poked around on the inside. He goes, that doesn't hurt him. I'm like, no, it doesn't hurt at all. He goes, that's weird, because the fracture is on the inside, and your pain is on the outside. It's just so bizarre. So... What the doctor did at that point was put me in a boot, a walking boot. He said, you're going to need to wear this really stylish, low-profile boot. No one's going to see it. It's not going to hinder your walk. He put me in the boot. He said, you need to be in this boot for three weeks. And I said, okay, so there's three weeks in the boot. That's going to heal the fracture. He said, no. Three weeks in the boot is going to retrain your walk. So what had happened was, somehow I had fractured the inside bone of my ankle. And because I wasn't aware of the fracture, I began to walk differently on my foot. And it, my gait was off. My gait was incorrect. And therefore, it was causing pain and inflammation of the tendons on the other side of my foot. 
So the doctor said, the issue that, I, that we're trying to accomplish here, he said, since you're not having any pain on that fractured spot, he goes, we have to retrain your step so that you don't walk on that outside of your foot. We have to retrain your walk. You're like, Joshua, I came to hear a sermon, not your medical history. Well, let him who has ears, let him hear. My body was in pain. I'm going to sum this up real quick. My body was in pain and unable to run because I had a fracture that I was unaware of. So I needed to take some intentional and perhaps even inconvenient measures in order to correct my walk, correct my gait, so that I could continue running and exercising, thus bringing strength and health to my body. Some of you are connecting dots here. I'm going to read that again. Listen with your spiritual ears. My body was in pain. My body was hurting because I had a broken place, a fracture that I was not aware of. And so I needed to take some steps to retrain my walk so that I could do the things necessary to bring wholeness and health to my body. So I'm talking today about unity in the church. Today, the body of Christ is fractured in many ways. We're fractured, we're broken. There's separation in the body of Christ, whether it's socioeconomic, whether it's racial, whether it's theological or political, or even relationally. There are, there are broken places, there are fractures in the body of Christ today. And the unfortunate and often heartbreaking thing is, many of us are not even aware, or if we are aware, sometimes we don't even have the strength or the, the desire to do anything about it. But Christianity today is actually the most fractured group of any group on the planet. There are many other religions, and a lot of other religions may have five, six, seven different sects of that religion. There are some that maybe have 40 or 50 different groups within that religion that kind of have a little bit different belief system. Did you know that Christianity has 45,000 different denominations? 45,000 different, now I'm not saying denominations are bad, but my point is when, when a, a new denomination is born, it's because there was a rift, there was an issue that was unresolved, and they said, well, you believe this, I believe this, therefore we can't, we, we can't connect these things together, we can't reconcile this and live together, so we're going to go start our own thing. That's how, that's how denominations are, are normally formed. 45,000 within the Christian church. And again, we're fractured on so many different levels. Dr. Martin Luther King actually was speaking of race, even though I think this applies even more broadly than that. But he said, it is appalling that the most segregated hour in, the Christian, in Christian America is 11 o'clock on a Sunday morning. It's the most fractured hour of the church because we all go to our own little places completely disconnected from one another. And beloved, let me tell you, that is not the design that Jesus had in mind for the church. So we're fractured, but the good news is we know a great physician, amen? And the Lord, who is our great physician, is wanting to bring wholeness and unity, honor, and genuine love to the body of Christ by alerting us to the fracture 
and then gifting us with ways to retrain our walk so that we can run the race with endurance and be a light to the world. So just like my doctor said, hey, you've got a fracture you're unaware of. We need to retrain your walk. I believe the Lord is doing that in this hour in the church. He said, many of you are unaware of how fractured we really are, how disconnected we are, how we've, we've, we've pulled relationships apart based on certain doctrines or certain relational issues that, that are unresolved. But he says, I want to bring healing and wholeness to those, and I want my body to be one body. So what does this mean? What does this look like? What does unity in the body look like? And why is it so important? Well, this brings us to John 17. If you're there, John 17. I'm going to read these four verses. Let me read them twice because it's so good. John 17, verses 20 through 24. Now, John 17, let me give a little bit of context here. John 17 is Jesus praying to his Father. Jesus is praying to his Father. This is the longest recorded prayer of Jesus that we have in the Scripture. In fact, if you want to do some study on this this week, I would back up all the way probably to thirteen or John 13, John 14, and start there and kind of get a run-up to John 17. But this is Jesus praying to his Father. And the first few verses of John 17... John 17, by the way, is often called the high priestly prayer. So if you see that phrase in your study, just know that's talking about this passage here. The high priestly prayer, Jesus, our high priest, praying for us. The first five verses in John 17, verses 1 through 5, are Jesus praying for himself. And you can read those 1 through 5, John 17, Jesus is praying for himself. Then in verses 16 through 19, Jesus prays for his disciples and his followers that are there, the the people that are there in his midst, his followers and disciples. That's verses 6 through 19. But in verse 20, he changes direction, and Jesus begins to pray for you. Now, I know all of Jesus' prayers for his disciples and other things. We can apply those to our life, and thank goodness for that. I love those. But this prayer is specifically about you. He says, Father, I'm praying now not just for those in my immediate presence, his disciples and followers. He says, I'm praying for those who will believe in the future. He's praying. He's literally praying for you right here. In John 17, verse 20, he's praying for all the believers who will believe in him, not just from that, uh, not just in that moment, but from that point forward. And here's what he prays. He says, Father, I do not pray for these alone, meaning his disciples. He said, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's you. And here's what he prays, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory which you have given me, I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may be perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Oh, Father, I desire. And, and, and the, the prayer goes on. 
Okay, let me just, can I just read that again? Just, in fact, if you, let me just encourage you to do this. As we read this, if you would, you don't have to, just put your hands in a little, like a receiving position. Just receive these words. This, if, if you guys walked up to a ministry team right now, if I said, let's just do ministry time, and the Jewish man Jesus walked in the door and said, I'll, I'll do the ministry, how many of you guys would come up and say, yes, or whatever you pray, I receive? I think we all probably would, right? Guess what? He is praying for you. This prayer is for you. This is, this is our corporate ministry time. And, and Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, is here today, his presence by his spirit. And he goes, I'm praying this prayer for you. Let's just receive the words of Jesus as he says, Father, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you have have given me, I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may be perfect in one, that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you love me. Father, I desire. So again, although all the prayers of Jesus apply to us 2,000 years later, this particular prayer gives us insight into what Jesus prayed when he prayed for you and me. So just let that sink in for just a second. Jesus prayed for you. I mean, in in the words of the great Vicini, this is inconceivable. It's inconceivable to think that Jesus, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Savior of the world, the second person of the Trinity, the Alpha, the Omega, the Logos, the Lamb, the Lion of the tribe of Judah prayed for me. But what did he pray for? What did he pray for when he prayed for me? What did he pray for when he prayed for you? Jesus prayed that the church we, the church, would walk in our identity as the fellowship of the undivided. And this would result in a world experiencing the overflowing love of the Father and receive Jesus as Messiah. Now, that sounds like a big statement. But did you see it in John 17? He said, I want my church to be in unity. I want my church, my people, to walk as the fellowship of the undivided so that the world may embrace the fact that you have sent me as their Savior. He's connecting this to a harvest. This ought to give us a sense of urgency 
to, to pursue and to engage in activities that lead us to unity. Because he says, when my church is walking in unity, he goes, then the world may know that you sent me. And they would experience your love. They would know the everlasting love of the Father. Now, we have lots of prayer meetings, and we can fill prayer meetings up with praying for the great harvest, praying for the great revival at the end of the age, praying that billions of souls will come in. Jesus said, prayer is good. Keep praying. He said, but actually, if you would actually come together in love and unity and purpose and stop being so fractured, he said, that will unlock some things in the world. The world may know when you walk in unity. So the issue of unity, I believe, is really, really important to Jesus because the longest prayer we have recorded from Jesus in the Scripture, he looks through the corridors of time and he goes, I want them to be one. So if it's that important to Jesus, I'm pretty sure we ought to take this topic seriously. Amen? But as Jesus is standing there praying, I wonder, I just, my mind just kind of, sometimes my imagination just gets going. And I just wonder what it was like, like when Jesus was actually standing there praying for the future church for us. And things that don't even really matter, but sometimes in my mind, I just think, okay, what was he, was he looking up? You know, was it, were his hands out? Was he on his knees? Was he crying? And again, not that those things matter, but I, I try to picture, Jesus, what were you feeling in that moment? What, what did that scene look like? And I just wonder if perhaps Jesus looked through 2,000 years of history to the church today, and he saw his followers' social media pages. And he said, oh, Father... They're not one. He sees all the social media posts and said, Lord, we got to pray for unity for those folks. And now remember, he's praying for the church. He's not just praying for believers and unbelievers. He's saying, my believers, ones who, ones who call on my name, I'm praying that they'll be one, which infers that he saw a church in the future that was not one. Why would he pray for that? So I just imagine him, again, this is the Joshua Rushing Standard Version here. This is not the Word of God. But I just imagine Jesus saying, Oh, Father, I need to pray for unity. Our people have lost their ever-loving minds. They're more concerned about winning arguments than winning hearts. They're more concerned about being right than being redemptive in their speech. They're more concerned about getting likes than actually being Christ-like. They're fractured, and many of them don't even know it. Father, I desire. That phrase, desire, it literally means a yearning, a churning, a, a zeal. He goes, Father, I desire, I long for my people to get this. But unity will not come to the church by accident. It must be intentional. 
We must intentionally pursue humility. We must humble ourselves. We must walk in love. We must seek to honor one another, especially those with whom we disagree. So unity, let's look at this word for a little bit. What is unity? Before we actually look at what unity is, I want to just take a few minutes to talk about what unity isn't. You know, sometimes we actually can get a pretty good working definition of something by looking at what it is not. So let me just say a few words about what unity isn't just to kind of get this out of the way. Unity is not uniformity. Unity is not uniformity. You've heard us say that around here many of times. God is not looking for all of us to look alike and talk alike and act alike. That's not unity. God is a very creative God. He's infinitely creative. God loves diversity. He loves diversity of thought, diversity of color, personalities, opinions, styles. I mean, no two snowflakes are alike, right? No two thumbprints are alike. He loves diversity. He loves creativity. He's not asking us when he's praying for unity that we would be uniform. Unity is not pretending that we don't have differences. That's not unity. And another thing unity is not, unity is not colorblind. And I'm just going to go off on a personal little soapbox here. Can we all just indulge me for a couple of minutes? Can we just remove the I'm just colorblind, God wants us to be colorblind and not see color? Can we just remove that from our collective vocabulary? I do not like that phrase at all. God does not want us to be colorblind when it comes to people who don't look and think and act like us. And I hear it all the time. Well-meaning believers, oh, I'm just colorblind. I don't see color. That's not God's design. God loves color. God loves the diversity. He's not asking you to be colorblind because he is not colorblind. How do I know this? Read Revelation 5, verse 9. And they sang a new song. And they sang, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain. Who was slain? Jesus. So who are they singing to? Okay, Jesus, for you, Jesus, were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. Beloved, the throne room is not one color. The throne room is not a black and white TV. We're not called to be colorblind in the throne room. We're called to celebrate the diversity of every nation, tongue, and tribe and land. Revelation 7, verse 9, here's another one. And these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could number, all of all nations, tribes, people, and tongues, standing before the throne. So unity is not about being colorblind. Unity is celebrating one another's differences and seeking to, to create a culture of honor in our relationships. And something you've heard around here many of times, we need to grow and learn in our ability to celebrate areas that we agree. We need to celebrate those areas that we agree. We also need to, uh, to affirm the areas we agree and then celebrate the diversity 
and then learn to create harmony. Harmony is a musical term that talks about two notes that are not the same notes, but they work together to create something beautiful. So we should affirm those areas that we agree. We should celebrate the diversity and then learn to create harmony with one another. That's what unity looks like. Unity also does not mean that we all have to think, feel, believe, and enjoy the same things. 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 7 says, There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. There are diversities of activities, but in the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. Did you hear that? He said, we are, we are under the same banner of Christ, but there's diversity of gifts and activities and skills and looks and styles. I'm adding those words in, but that you get the gist of it. We can have diversity underneath the same banner of Christ, and we should. First Corinthians 12.20 says, But now, indeed, there are many members, yet there is one body. But today, most of the church acts as if unity will come only when we can get other groups to look and act like us. But can I submit that that's not unity at all? That's actually a myopic, egocentric narcissism, and it grieves the heart of God. When we think, well, we'll have unity as long as that group starts believing and looking like me. If the centerpiece of your unity is you, that's not unity. Oh, that we would pray with the psalmist in Psalm 139 when he said, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my ways, my anxieties, and see if there be any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. You know, I think this idea of unity, as I was preparing for this message, I was asking the Lord, Lord, are there areas in my life? Are there things in me that contribute to a disunity in the body and in, in relationships? And I prayed this Psalm 139 prayer, oh Lord, search me. I give you permission. I, I want to know just as I did not know I had a fracture in my foot, therefore I caused pain to my body. I said, Lord, open my eyes. Let me see the fractures. Let me see the broken places. I want to know, would you search me through and through and see if there be any wicked way. That phrase, wicked way, literally means the way of pain. See if there be any way of pain in me. And lead me out of that.
Yeah, there's a there's a verse that I'm reminded of now in Proverbs where it says there are seven things that God hates. It actually uses that word abomination and hate. And one of those things was those who cause dissension among the brethren. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, the other ones that are listed, you're like, oh, yeah, you know, those like, like murder and thievery. We're like, yes, those people. And then he gets to that last one. And those who sow dissension among the brethren, God said, I hate it. It's an abomination to me. And most of us don't put that issue up at the top of the list with all the others. Well, I haven't robbed a bank this week, so I'm good, you know. I didn't kill my neighbor last week. I'm all about unity, brother. Those things are pretty high on the list. But what about just sowing dissension among each other? Oh, God, search me. Try me and know my ways and see if there be any way of pain in me. If our efforts toward unity include trying to convert our brethren to our side instead of dying to our own overinflated allegiances to certain doctrines, then it is not a unified church we are seeking. It is a homogenous club that is designed for division and discord. You know, so many of us hold on to certain doctrines, and I don't mean doctrines aren't important. Please hear me. Doctrines are really important. But some of us hold on to so many things that are even peripheral doctrines that when somebody has a different perspective of that, we say, well, okay, well, we just can't, we just can't be together. This just isn't going to work. And we set these peripheral doctrines as, as on this pedestal, and, we're, and, and sometimes it's subconscious, sometimes it may be conscious. We're saying, unless you can come into alignment with my doctrines, then we can't do this. And I'm telling you, it grieves God's heart. Jesus said, Father, I desire that they may be one as we are one. So unity comes when we die to ourselves when we embrace humility, when we repent for perpetuating disunity, and when we intentionally pursue connection with one another, that's when unity comes. There's a couple other verses. Uh, sorry for the word screen person. I'm going to go off on a tangent here. So, uh, There's a verse earlier in, in John in, in chapter 13, 14, around in there where Jesus tells his disciples, he said, a, a new commandment I'm going to give to you, that you would love one another as I have loved you, that you would love one another as I have loved you. The other verse that comes to mind is when Jesus says, no greater love has a man that he would lay down his life for a friend. So unity comes when we truly love one another. And Jesus said, this is a command I give to you. It's not an option. Unity in the church is not a peripheral 
issue. It's not an option for us. Jesus commands it. I command you to love one another as I have loved you. Okay, well, Jesus, what does that look like? What does it look like for us to love one another? He goes, I'm glad you asked. Here's what it looks like. Are you willing to die to yourself for the sake of a brother? You mean Jesus, like, physically die, like, like take a bullet? Well, maybe so. But the odds of that are pretty small. So to die for a brother means to die to our own selfish ambitions, to die to our flesh, to die to our personal agenda, to die to the idea of this is how I think you should be, how we dictate to someone else who our identity is just because it's easier for us to swallow. When we can die to our flesh, die to ourselves for our sake of a brother, we're on the right track towards unity. It's not trying to convert you to look more like me. The world does not need more people that look like me or talk like me or think like I do. That's putting myself at the center. And Jesus says, I pray that they're one in me. Jesus is the centerpiece of the story. He's the centerpiece of unity. So we've talked a little bit about what unity is not. Unity, what is it? Well, unity is simply the state of being undivided or to be made one. Unity is the state of being undivided. Therefore, this this phrase that's just been stirring in my spirit, the fellowship of the undivided, the church is called to be a fellowship of of the undivided. This means that we are a people of genuine affection, honor, humility, and purpose. It means that we're a people who refuse to let go of one another when disputes arise. It means that we're a people who wholeheartedly run to the place of repentance and forgiveness and reconciliation when a rift does arise. It means that we're a people who prefer one another even when differences are present. It means that we are a people who engage in expressions of love and honor, even with people we don't even like. Am I the only one in the room that just, there's just certain people, I'm just like, you're a brother, but I just don't like you. I know you're a sister, but to be honest with you, I love you in the name of the Lord, but I don't really like you that much. Am I the only one? Don't raise your hand. Well, especially don't nudge the guy next to you. (laughs) There's just some people I just don't like that does not give me permission to disconnect. In fact, there's all the more reason for me to die to myself to engage in a loving relationship with this person. We can't just sweep people under the rug. We can't just unfriend them and say, I'm done with you. When we do that, we're actually acting in the opposite spirit of the prayer of Jesus. That they may be one. You see, Jesus, the reason unity is so important, I believe, to him is because Jesus has always enjoyed perfect communion from eternity past with his Father and the Spirit. Trillions and bazillion years ago, 
the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit all had perfect communion forever. This is what Jesus knows. This is who Jesus is. He's saying, guys, trust me, you want this. You want this oneness. You want unity. It is the most beautiful expression of love because I've experienced all of my life. I mean, life. I mean, he's been forever. You know what I mean? The Trinity kind of makes our minds blow up. But he said, forever, I've experienced this perfect communion. Hey, guys, this is so good. Trust me, I want this for you. And this ought to fry our brains. Jesus says, I've, I experienced the perfect communion with my Father and the Spirit forever. And then here's what he does. He invites us, the little mud people from Genesis 1, you know, the, just the dirt and the spit and the air, just these little dirt nubs that he created on the earth. He says, I actually invite you in to this divine unity of love. I invite you in. I pray that you would be one in me, just as me and the Father are one. Really? I mean, you mean just the dirt you grabbed in Genesis 1, 2, and 3 and just went, there you go, there's man. And the angels are going, ooh, that's dirty. Just little nub people running around made out of the dust of the earth, just clay, just animated clay. He goes, yeah, those are the ones I want to invite into this unity of love. I want them in on this. I want them to experience what I've experienced forever. Well, as if Jesus was Jesus was not the only one to pray this for us. Paul in Ephesians chapter 4. Listen to Paul's language here. Paul says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. Now, Paul uses the word urge. The word urge in verse 1 literally means to call close up and personal or to beg or to plead. The word urge, he goes, therefore, I urge you. That word urge, to call on up close and personal. Let me put that in today's terms. All up in your face. Paul says, I urge you. I'm in your face. I'm close up. I'm getting, I'm getting right up in your business, and I'm saying, I plead with you. I plead with you to walk worthy of the calling that you would keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Paul's getting all up, in the fa- all up in our faces, and he's pleading with us. And again, I'm just going to use modern vernacular here, if you'll excuse me. Don't be jerks. Don't do that. That's disunity. I'm begging you, treat one another with respect and honor and love and dignity. I'm begging you, do not disconnect with one another. Fight to keep the unity of the Spirit. And the bond in the bond of peace, that word bond in verse three 
literally means that which ties together a joint or ligament. So when the bond of peace is broken, the joints are separated. That bond of peace, that thing that keeps us together, Paul is pleading with us. But too often we're caught up with being right and expressing our own opinions and winning a debate and, or taking a stand that we forget about the words earlier in verse 2 when he says, lowliness, and gentleness, patience, and love, and peace. Now, I'm all about taking stands when we need to take stands. I'm all about holding the line in areas that we need to hold the line. But so many times we're so caught up with, oh, this is something. I'm going to take a stand here. I'm going to take a stand here. And Paul says, did you forget about humility? Have you forgotten, forgotten about lowliness? Have you forgotten about bearing with one another with patience? Oh, but I'm taking a stand. Will you take a stand all you want to while you leave a trail of broken people behind you? How is that? I'm just getting to a point right now in my life where it's like it's not worth leaving a trail of broken relationships just so I can be right on some sort of issue. Now, again, hear me. We can't preach the entire counsel of God in one message, okay? So I understand there's some, there's some balance here. I don't have an opportunity right now or time to do that. Um, I'm, I wasn't going to tell you I'm preaching next week because I still want you to come back, but I am preaching again next week, so I might try to bring some balance statements to this next week, okay? But for today, just let this hit your spirit. There's something so much better, so much more glorious than being right. You know what that is? It's about being free from the need to have to be right. It's far more joy-filled to be free from the need to have to be right about something than it is just to be right about it. I'm, I'm done with that. And when I get to, to see the Lord one day, I promise you he's not going to say, oh, I've, I've, I've looked at your test and you were right on all the answers. But you know what he might ask me? Did you give a cup of cold water? Did you love your brother? Did you sow seeds of discourse among your brothers and sisters? Did you learn to love And I don't want to stand there with a 100% on my test at the expense of my brothers and sisters. So, we must pray for unity. We must pursue unity. We must fight for peace. That sounds kind of like an oxymoron, doesn't it? You know, it's actually not. Peace is not the absence of conflict. Peace is the joy in the presence of the Lord in the midst of conflict. Is Jesus, is the joy and the peace and the presence of Jesus in your relationships when conflict arises? 
If not, we need to pursue those things. We need to ask the Holy Spirit to help us. So we must pursue unity. We must fight for peace. And that happens, I believe, when we embrace humility. Guys, in the words of the great theologian, the Mandalorian, this is the way. I'm telling you, humility unto unity, it's the way of Jesus. No greater love has a man than to lay down his life for a friend. Was Jesus not our example of that? And then he goes, oh, and by the way, if you're my disciple, I want you to take up your cross every day and follow my lead. I lay down my life for my people. Now, were we worth it to him? Were we, did, did we have, so, we were such great, amazing people that he goes, I'm going to die for you because you're so amazing. Guys, actually, it says, why we were yet still sinners, Christ died for us. We were enemies, mortal enemies. And he goes, you are my mortal enemies because of sin, not because that's the way he designed it, but but when sin entered the picture, we became disconnected, fractured from the Father. And Jesus said, I'm going to come and lay down my life so that we can reconcile sinful man and holy God. And I want you to take up your cross every day. This is a daily thing. You can't just say, hey, we got unity, brother? Good. Okay, I'm good for the rest of our lives. We got unity. This is a daily pursuit of love, a daily pursuit of honor. This is the way of Jesus. Okay, let's wrap up there. Um, I've got a lot more to say about cancel culture, so we're going to talk about that next week. Yeah, let's do that. Let's stand. Now we're going to pray here in just a second. We're going to uh, ask ministry teams up here in just a minute. But I want to do this now before I forget. If you are a visitor here today, thank you so much for coming. And we really appreciate you coming and joining together with us and worshiping and loving on the Lord together. As soon as the service is over, when we pray, if you're a visitor... We have a welcome center right back here to my back right. We have a gift for you that we would love to, to, to give to you and to bless you with. If you would just come back and if you want to and receive that gift, we would love to connect with you that way. Also want to remind you guys to uh, uh, members, if you just place, don't forget to place your offerings in the baskets on the, at the doors on your way out. That would be a beautiful thing as well. So, Father, we do pray that prayer of Psalm 139. Search us. Search me, O God. Right now, Holy Spirit, come and search me. Through and through. Top to bottom. Search my heart. Try me, Lord. Know my anxieties. Open up my eyes. Let me see those triggers, Lord. Let me see those things that that trigger a, a, a disconnecting spirit with my brethren. Show me, Lord, if there's any way of pain in me. 
there's any way that I'm inflicting pain upon others. Father, I do not want to be a man of disunity. I do not want to be one who sows seeds of discord. Help me, Holy Spirit. I just want to pray for us, Lord, that even in this room right now, Holy Spirit, would you show us relationships? Would you show us circumstances in our life that have caused disunity, that have have caused a fracture in relationships. And Holy Spirit, would you give us some insight and boldness into mending those relationships? Because Lord, sometimes we're just unaware. We don't even know the things we've done, things we've said, ways that we've acted. We don't even know. Holy Spirit, would you reveal those to us? Would you show us? Just praying the Lord would just bring some things to mind to us, even now. So just ask the Holy Spirit, just, just right where you are, just for a minute. We won't be here long, but just ask the Holy Spirit, show me. Show me areas that I've been contributing to disunity in the body. Maybe it's a person, maybe it's a group, maybe it's a friend or a something. Father, this morning we humble ourselves before you. We humble ourselves in your sight. Help us to become one, united in love and in purpose. That we would truly become the fellowship of the undivided. We hope you've enjoyed this episode from Calvary Community Church Podcast. For more content and information about Calvary Community Church, please visit our website at calvaryhouston.com.